last week I started a, a series on stewardship. How many of you were here last week for that? Uh, I started a series on stewardship, and um, the, the series on stewardship was, uh, it, it wasn't, I, I kind of prefaced the whole idea, the whole concept of stewardship, that it wasn't just about money. It wasn't just about money, because, um, you know, if we read in Matthew 25, there's the parable of, of the talents, and, you know, it, it, while that parable deals with money, the principle that you see in that, that parable is that stewardship means to bring something into increase. It does not mean to maintain something because we see in that parable that the, the servant that just maintained what he was given, it was taken away. But the one who stewarded it into increase, it brought about a, an influence and a favor and a dominion, actually, it says, over 10 cities, a 10-city region, which is the Bible refers to as a Decapolis. It's a 10-city region. And so the man who stewarded what he was given into increase, he was given dominion over cities. What if the way that we stewarded what God has given us gives us favor and dominion over cities? What if it, you know, just as we, uh, you know, I quoted uh, Pastor Bill before, uh, what if generosity is the seedbed to revival? Because the, it means that we are stewarding what God has given us to such a degree that the Lord says, you know, I, you've been faithful with little, so I'm going to give you much. I'm going to pour out dominion and favor and influence over cities, over regions. This is exciting. I don't know about you, but this is exciting to me. To see that there is an area that that needs breakthrough in 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 our lives, and to actually have a plan of attack to go after it, to actually have biblical principles and promises of God to go after these things, and so um, you know you you can uh, check out that 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 message online. I believe the podcast is available or it will be available, and um, you know just get a right frame of mind about stewardship because it's not just about money; it's everything. Uh, and we're going to see even today that God God owns everything. He owns it all. And so everything that you've been given is a gift. Everything that you have is a gift. And so how you steward your relationship with your spouse, it doesn't mean to maintain something. It means that five years down the road, you should be in a better place than you were five years before. It means a, it, it, it means a level of intentionality that you would take, uh, that would take it to another level. Does this make sense? If you want, think about it this way. If you want a fire, you know, everybody like bonfires and just fires in the backyard. And if you want a fire to increase, you have to put more logs on it than it takes to maintain it. So if you just throw, you know, just a little bit on it here and there, you will just maintain it. But, you know, you can back up a truck and, and dump a whole, whole uh, bunch of brush on top of it and it will, it will set ablaze. Because to, to grow something, you have to put into it more than it takes to maintain it. And so just some, some great principles on stewardship, and I would encourage you to listen to that message um, from last week. And so this, this week, I'm going to talk about uh, just building on that foundation, um, but getting a little bit more specific, focusing the lens in a little bit more specific uh, on kingdom prosperity. Now, if you think that I'm talking about money to get bigger offerings, the offering has already been taken. Uh, if you think that I'm talking about money to, to get bigger offerings, then don't give. Because you're not giving in the right heart, and the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver, and if you can't give cheerfully, then don't give. So this is not about getting bigger offerings. It's about 
dealing with heart issues of why are we manifesting every time we talk about money. This is a principle that God wants to deal with. He's, he wants to see breakthrough. You know, about a month ago, about 80% of the church stood up. Every 80% of the people stood up needing financial breakthrough. And it's interesting that most people, uh, if 80% of the church stood up needed, and needed physical healing, uh, nobody would bat an eye if I did a series on healing. But because it's money, because it's, the, and, and I just believe it's all the more reason that, that God is encouraging us to go after this. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. So I want to set the right foundation. Uh, just to build off of what I talked about uh, last week and get a little bit more focused. Um, you know, uh, we talked about stewardship. Uh, but the reality of stewardship is to, to understand that God does not need your money. God does not need your money. He already owns everything. How naive is it to think that God needs our money? He doesn't. Scripture is clear that God owns everything. And that makes sense since he, since he created everything that we see, taste, hear, smell, touch. He created everything. Uh, Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2, it says, the, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Everybody say all. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. The world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Uh, Psalm 50, it says this. Hear, O O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am the Lord your God. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices and your burnt offerings continually before me. I I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats from your folds. And this is the point I want to focus on. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountain. I know everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that it contains. You know, the Lord is using strong language there to get it through to us that, that everything that we see, uh, you know, even the offerings that we give, because in the Old Testament, in the sacrificial system, the beasts of the field, the, 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 the burnt offerings, the sacrifices that they would make were a gift from God. And so they could not even give anything to God that didn't originate from him. Does that make sense? There could be no offering to to the Lord that did not originate from him. And so the Lord was trying to recenter and refocus so that they would recognize that he is the source. He's the source of this. He's the source of all things, all of our sustenance, all of the love, all of the everything that we could ever need or want. He is the source of it. Psalm 89 verse 11 says, The heavens are yours and the earth is also yours, the world and all it contains, because the Lord has founded them. As creator and owner, God does not need anything. He alone is self-sufficient, self-existent, and omnipotent. God has created us to be stewards of his creation. Stewards do not own what they are entrusted into their, what's entrusted into their care. That means that everything that we have, we don't own it. And when we recognize this, I, I made mention of this last week is, you know, if you borrow somebody's car, you always, you know, usually you treat it, unless you're a valet driver, you treat it. Sorry for any valet drivers in here. I know how you are. Just kidding. Totally lost where I was going. If you borrow somebody's car, 
you know, you, you, you drive it a little bit more carefully than you would drive your own car. You, you don't do that rolling stop through the stop sign or you drive it just a little bit more. You're more careful with something that's not yours. And when we recognize that God is the source of, of all these things in our lives and particularly our money, you begin to treat it differently because stewards do not own what's entrusted to their care. They simply manage it on behalf of the owner. God has made this clear to Adam and Eve on the day he created them. In Genesis 1, it says this, God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and every living thing that moves on the earth. See, God entrusted Adam and Eve to rule over creation. And then God said this uh, in Genesis 1, 29, uh, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that on its surface of all the earth and every tree which has yielded uh, fruit yielding tree, it shall be good for food for you. And so the Lord, there's this, there's this picture, there's this idea where Adam and Eve were, were, you know, they didn't have banks, they didn't have anything. All they knew was to entrust what God has given them and to grow it. And the original idea of the Garden of Eden was to take this garden that had designated borders and to fill the earth and subdue it until the entire earth became like Garden of Eden. Does this make sense? This is what it means to be a steward. Uh, Genesis 2 verse 15 it says then the Lord took uh, Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it so the things that that are in your life and in your surroundings God has put you there for such a time as this do you realize that you were put in the time and the place and the season there's a reason that you have the family that you have because you were put there and instead of us complaining about what our situations are what if you're the solution to the problems that you're in the middle of. Because what a, what a steward of God's resources looks at, it doesn't look at the lack, it looks at the potential. It looks at the promise. It looks at what is possible with, with the Lord. Because the Bible says in Luke 137, with God all things are possible. And so we have to remove every impossibility of the circumstances of our lives and begin to believe God. This includes, especially with our finances, with our money, but every, every other area that we are, are deemed as stewards over. God has graciously provided for Adam and Eve, uh, as well as us, all of our needs from what he owns. Also note that by God's design, our stewardship requires work on our part, both physical labor and wise management. Both physical labor and wise management. And, and this is important to, to understand with the, the physical labor and wise manage it. You know, the Bible also says in Proverbs, if you don't work, you don't eat. Right? And uh, that, that, that is a, an amazing principle because God blesses the work of our hands. And when we are working with our hands, we are stewarding and bringing what was placed in our hands into a place of increase. Every job, every task that you've been given, everything that's on your job description, everything that's in your sphere of influence has been put into your entrusting care to bring it into increase. This is God's design. When teaching about the kingdom of heaven, Jesus told a parable that drew from his listeners familiarity with owner-steward relationships in their day. Um, 
it says this, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man about to go on a journey who calls his own, own slaves and entrusts them, uh, his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, according to each his own ability. And he went on his journey, and immediately uh, the one who had received the five talents went and traded and gained five more talents. The owner, um, in the same manner, the one who had received two talents gained two more. But he who received one went away and dug a hole and buried them. This is a, a passage I read last week. Um, but this is the, the principle of an owner-steward relationship. God is the master. We're the servants of the Lord. And, and we are entrusted in this life. We are entrusted to what God has given us. So we are stewards, God stewards, managing his resources for his benefit. You have to understand something that in this parable in Matthew 25, that the, the servants were managing the resources for the benefit of the Lord, for the benefit of the master. It wasn't necessarily for their own benefit, although if they maintained and managed their, uh, the, the resources that they were given well, they benefited. You guys realize that, right? There was a reward for proper stewardship. They were given dominion over cities. And, and there's, a, there's a real understanding of this, of managing resources for the behalf of, of the owner. And so when we manage and when we steward the resources of our life in a proper way, in right alignment with the right heart, what God does is, is he brings an increase into our lives because of how we have stewarded for him. When we realize this, we realize that everything that we do is for his glory. Does this make sense? Everything that we do is for his glory. Even the faith that you confessed in Jesus was given to you by God. The breath that you inhaled that caused you to call upon the name of the Lord was was a gift from him. When we realize this, it brings right alignment that we are stewarding and managing what God has given us for his benefit. He benefits this parable emphasizes the role of a steward uh, that, that is a slave who manages his owner's assets for the master's benefit and not for his own benefit. It's not just enough to do no harm or to return to the master everything that was entrusted to you, but the owner expects his stewards to multiply his assets entrusted to him. We must do no less in our management of the resources that God has entrusted into our care. This includes all of creation, as well as our time, our talents, and our treasure. Just as God has provided for Adam and Eve's needs, he also provides for our needs. Although he frequently, um, you know, we go through seasons, what we would call valleys or mountain seasons, ultimately God is provider and sustainer in everything. Psalm 37, verse 25, it says, I have been young and now I am old and I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. I'm gonna read that again. Psalm 35, verse 25, or 37, verse 25, excuse me. I have been young and now I am old. This is David talking. And I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. This is the reality that God takes care of his own. God takes care of his own. And uh, it, it says this, um, Jesus told, told this in, the, in um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. 
Is not life more than food? Is not body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor they reap, nor gather in barns, yet the heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? Are, and who of you, being worried, can add a single hour to your life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor they spin, yet, they, uh, yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow and thrown into the furnace, will he not clothe you more? You of little faith, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So what we have to understand is that God will supply every need of those who trust and obey him. God will supply every need of those who trust and obey him. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's Matthew 6, verse 34. Notice that a farmer must work hard to prepare soil. Plant the seed, they cultivate the crops, they harvest the crops, yet when it comes down to it, he is powerless to cause the seed to grow into a useful crop. Only God can do that. No farmer can claim, can claim self-sufficiency. No matter how hard he works, no harvest would come without God's providence, God's blessing, and God's provision. As many have experienced in times of drought, we understand this, that, uh, that it is a source from the Lord. 2 Corinthians 9, we've read this before, but I want to read it again. Now I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each, mon, each, must, each one must do uh, just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or un- under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you can abound for every good work. It's an amazing understanding to realize this. It also says this in 2 Corinthians 9, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be entrusted and enriched in everything uh, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Likewise, the, the Paul um, also recognized that God took care of him. As a result, in all circumstances, we could be content. He could be content. Uh, in Philippians, uh, Philippians 4, this is what Paul says. I know how to get along with humble means. I know what it is to live in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I have learned from the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in affliction. You yourselves also, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. Even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I should seek the gift myself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. 
But I have received everything in full and have abundance. I am an ample supply, having received uh, what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And this is where he says this, And my God shall supply all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. As with Paul, our contentment comes in God's provision depending on our obedience and our faith with him as a provider. And so the question becomes, when we're dealing with finances, when we're dealing with our money, when we're dealing with kingdom stewardship and prosperity, the question becomes, who do you trust? Who do you trust? This is the question. 2 Corinthians 9, again, it says this, And God is able to make grace every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances have whatever you need to be self-sufficient. Possessing enough requiring no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. That's out of the Amplified. We are going from, this, this is what we're going after. Every person delivered from all debt and having an abundant provision. So you can give anything the Holy Spirit puts on your heart towards anything he, he stirs your heart for. We want to look at the traditions of men that have made the word of God of no avail. There have been terrible teachings on money. There have been terrible teaches, teaching on finances. Most people start teaching on finances and teaching about giving. They say, give and it will be given unto you. But we have to realize that we have to have the right heart to even before we even give. We have to give in the right heart. So, and we also want to look at how, uh, this, how giving works under grace since God is no longer dealing with us based on our performance but based on his. Giving is one of the last things that we'll teach about with this because having a heart attitude towards money and the motives are more important. Does that make sense? So um, towards the end of the series, we'll tie it all together with, um, with how giving with the right attitude and the effects of it. But for now, we want to deal with heart issues. A lot of people want principles for financial increase. Anybody want principles for financial increase? Uh, just show me what to do. How much do I need to give? Teach me about the seed. What are the laws? What are the principles? Uh, what, I, what I should give? And really what they're saying is, what's, what's the least amount I can be involved and still prosper? Where can I take my heart, mind, will, and emotions out of it and just do a mindful task and put it on autopilot and, and have it, uh, prosper. And God does, that, that, that's not what God wants. There are principles, there are biblical principles that we will learn and we will go through, but all principles without the person is under the law trying to do the best to obey God's law without God's help. This is what the old covenant looks like. The old covenant looks like uh, form without power. That is the definition of religion, is form without power. It means to just mindlessly throw money in, a, in the bucket of an offering. It doesn't, it doesn't do any good unless you're attaching your faith to it, unless you're giving it in the right heart. And, and when, you are, when we're able to come into that place, uh, what happens is God takes the principles that you follow and pairs it with the faith that you have, and that's where the increase comes. It's like, it's like the flint and the steel, when they're struck together, it sparks. So your faith and the principles that God has given us, when they come together, that's when the fire begins to burn. That's when the sparks begin to fly because we're, we're pairing with what we can do with what God can do. 
Does this make sense? So Matthew uh, chapter 6, Jesus is teaching on what has become the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, it's, it's the greatest sermon that has ever been preached, no matter what any other preacher will tell you. Uh, Jesus has the record. He is giving a vision for what life in the kingdom of God looks like. And in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 24, he says this, No one can serve two masters, for you hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one, or you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Jesus uh, didn't say it would be wrong to serve both God and mammon. He said that it is impossible to serve both. You can either serve one or the other. Uh, This out of the Amplified, it says, For this reason I tell, um, um, in Matthew, um, it says, For this reason I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or enough clothes to wear, life is more important than food, and your body's more important than clothes. Look at the birds. They don't sow or reap or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable than them? Jesus begins by looking at life in the kingdom as it relates to everyday things and concerns. The food that we eat, the clothes that we wear, and where we live. Everything that he has to say about food and drink and clothing and provision hinders on one phrase. You cannot serve both God and mammon. That is a key phrase. If we understand this, we understand everything else that Jesus is saying. You cannot serve God and mammon for this reason. Because I just said this, he says this, don't be anxious. If you will understand what I just said, you don't ever have to be concerned about money again. Isn't that an amazing promise? It's an amazing promise to realize when, when he says this, that we don't have to be uh, worry about the things that, that we worry about. We don't have to have, be so worked up. And what the enemy will try to do is he'll have you so worked up about, about tomorrow that you, you can't enjoy today. He'll have you so worried and worked up about a future that hasn't even happened yet that you cannot enjoy what God has provided for you in the present. Worry is, is imagining a future without God. Worry is putting your future in the hands of yourself instead of putting it in the hands of the Lord. Jesus is inviting us into a kingdom where you can live from a freedom knowing that he has your back. He has your back. Isn't that good news? He has our back. When we live like this, when we understand, when we understand what he wants to do in our lives and what he can do through our lives, we begin to live differently. We begin to not live haphazardly. We, been, we, we begin to not live from a p- position or a posture of fear, of, of worry, of anxiousness about money, about anything in that regards to our future. You, you stop questioning and you start living. You stop questioning and you start living. Not that it isn't good to have questions. It's always good to have questions and ask God questions. But if your questions lead you to more fear and doubt and unbelief, then you need to check your questions. You need to check your questions because the questions that uh, God has answers for questions you haven't even thought of. And if you turn those questions over to him, he can take those questions and use them as a point of faith instead of a, a point of fear. Sorry, I have a lot here and I'm trying to 
get through it in a reasonable amount of time. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Anxiety over the everyday things of life is somehow directly connected to the statement you cannot serve God and mammon. So what does it look like to serve God? Uh, to serve, when it says you cannot serve God and mammon, uh, serve is a, is a strong word. It means to be in a position of a slave or a servant, and that is in the actual act of serving. This is not a slave or a servant off duty. Uh, this is a one who is serving. He is under direction, and he is doing his thing, which means he has already yielded his will to another, and doing, he's doing the, carrying out the will of another. This is what it means to serve God. You've yielded your will to his, and you are in the act of doing his will. That, that means you are serving God, uh, which means that we are taking, uh, talking about a person who is act, um, he's being directed by somebody else. This is what a servant is, and this is our life in the Lord. Uh, we are, are in direct yieldedness to him. The word serve is closely related to the word worship. Uh, the Hebrew word for worship is tied into this word serve. It means to fall down and to prostrate yourself before someone. That is to acknowledge that they have complete control over you, that they can do with you what they want. I lay before them and I give myself to you. Interestingly, the Greek word means exactly the same thing, uh, but they go one step further. It says to prostrate and kiss the feet of the person you're laying before. I'm saying by this act, by serving, by worship, I'm saying you are everything. I am a slave to the point where I kiss your feet. The English word for worship, uh, we get from the idea of worthship. It's a pretty good definition of worship to give worth or to give value to someone that we believe is worthy of a greater value. To give an expression of how high we estimate that value. Your worship is your estimation of what you value someone or something. When, you're, when you worship someone, we tell them how highly we think of them, and we make it obvious that we believe that they have worth and they have value. We let them know that you are a person of great worth and that we give you the value. We roll up the red carpet, so to speak, and we shout praises and put a crown on your head and wave flags and say, you are somebody amazing. This is what they did to Jesus. This is what heaven looks like. This is what Sunday mornings at Zion look like. Now, when we apply that word worship to God, we are saying that we have found the person of whom is absolutely, ultimately the final worth and value in our life. We are going uh, to gather up the, our whole person and say, there is no one like you. There is no one of greater value than you. What does this have to do with anxiety? What does this have to do with God being supernaturally involved in my life and in my finances? This has everything to do with it. And, and um, we have to know how to build things, how to lay the foundation. And this is what I'm talking about this morning is to lay the right foundation. When you're building, when you're building something, you have to have what they call a plumb line. And a plumb line is how you make sure that the foundation is straight. Because one inch off over here will end up being a mile off when you go about 10 stories up. And so a little bit in the foundation, if it's off, then you'll find yourself just a little bit off and a little bit off and a little bit off. The further you go, the further you go into God, the further you go in your relationship with him. And it, it, when, when you get off just a little bit, 
what we need is to know that the scripture becomes our compass. The scripture becomes our north so that we can get our bearings and see what God says about a matter. So when we understand that our response to what God has done in our lives, whether it, uh, you know Jesus has saved you, whether he's healed you, whether he has come through in a financial breakthrough or a miracle in your life, whether he's saved your kids or he's blessed your house, we understand that he is worthy and our response is worship. In Revelation, we see uh, the, the reality of worship when, when the angels say, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Or when the Bible says, who is like you, O Lord among the gods? You are of highest value and nothing compares to you. When I come to this, God, I stand in awe. Sometimes we're left with no words about the goodness of God. Sometimes he leaves us in awe. Sometimes he shows us things that we never thought possible. In worship, I see who he is and I declare it with my mouth and with my life. If I'm going to say that, that means that I'm going to have every thought, every word, every action, every decision, every goal in my life brought into his foundation, his plumb line. If he is the plumb line, I begin to see where things are crooked in my life. I begin to see where things have gotten off. And repentance is not saying, well, it looks like I've got something out of place over there. Repentance is going over and fixing it. Repentance is going to that area and making it right and bringing it back into alignment with what God has said. We don't do this by our own efforts, but we rest in him and he sends his spirit and he helps us right things that we have made wrong. He helps us bring things into alignment. So there is no part of my life that can be away from that plumb line. He is the foundation. So worship is not just an act that we do once a week. It is our life. It is our life. By definition, it's how we live our lives. I'm building my life according to Jesus. We cannot think of our lives any more apart from him, and that includes our finances. Here is how you think about everything. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also freely give us all things? Do you guys see just the freedom it is in trusting the Lord and trusting what he has done and actually seeing that he is the author and the finisher of everything? If he has come uh, in Jesus Christ and he died for me and he taken away my sin, will, will love like that not freely give me all things? It's an amazing concept to understand. So we've talked about what is God, and we've talked about serving. What is serving, and what does it look like to serve God? Well, what does it look like to serve mammon? Um, I, I, I borrowed this from Pastor Jim, but um, ages ago, the word mammon meant to entrust money to a bank. After that, it became known as just trusting money. Uh, by, by around the time of Jesus, it had become a god that was worshipped in Syria. It was actually the name of a demon god that was worshipped in Syria. And that god's name was called the power of riches. It was a demon god with the name the power of riches. And by, by worshipping that god, you were saying, I trust riches because that is where power is. Jesus said this to believers. The Sermon on the Mount was to believers. 
He said this to you and I. He's not talking to people walking down the street. He's not talking to the atheists and the unbelievers. He's talking to you and me. He's talking to us. He's saying that it is possible for our lives in God to be fractured and, uh, by the entrance of this demonic deity called mammon. For such a person then, money is, has become their magnetic north. Money has become their, their compass by which they steer everything in their life. They look to money for security and the meaning of life. The belief that money, uh, that mammon, uh, the belief system behind mammon subconsciously looks at money the same way that a believer looks at God. And so we, we begin to trust in money. We begin to say that money is my help. I lift my eyes to money where my help comes from. When I have a big bank account, then I, I feel secure. I feel safe. Money is a very present help in my time of trouble. Money is my refuge and my strength. We can go through all of these designations that a believer would say about the one who is far above, about Jesus. And a man who's locked into mammon will subconsciously be saying that about money. Behind mammon is the great lie that God does not care for me. God does not love you. God's control over your life, over life doesn't extend to me. God only handles big stuff and not little puny things like me in my life. He only handles the saints and great people, not people like you. These are lies that the enemy tries to tell us. You are on your own to care and to look out and to look after your family. Mammon says this, don't worry, child. As long as you have money, you will always have a place to live. You, and people will like you. You will have friends because you have money. Money is all you need to be safe and to be happy. Because God doesn't care for you. This is the absolute key to live by. This is the plumb line. It becomes when we trust in money. Get money in your bank account and all your problems will go away. This is the life of God. The life of God is love. And the life of mammon is greed and covetousness, which basically says, I must have enough money for now, and not only for now, but I have to have enough money for tomorrow because you never know what might happen. I'm only secure when I have enough for now and tomorrow, and when I get a hold of something, I will cling on to it so that I will have enough. If I do, not, if I do give anything away, if I do, you have to give me an assurance that the return will be worth it. This is why manipulation and fear. This is why the scriptures where it say give and it will be given unto you. This is why the 30, 60, 100 fold promise is so powerful because people are grabbing onto mammon and they will only release something when they think that there's a return on it. Not realizing that it deals with the heart issue of who do you trust. The goal of mammon is because when I have possessions, I feel secure. And when I look at my possessions, I see the proof that mammon is worthy. I see the car, I see the house, I see all the nice things, and I see that mammon is worthy and not that God is worthy. Hear this, when I make an offering to God who is absolute love, my offering is that I trust my life to perfect love. I live my lifestyle that declares that this is the only way to live. What does it look like to give an offering to mammon? Jesus told us again that you cannot serve both God and mammon. 
For that reason, do not be anxious. Do not worry. This is what his, the, the word says in Matthew 6, 25. When you worry over food and clothing and shelter and job security and how much money you have, you are making an offering to mammon. You are bowing down and worshiping the demon god of mammon. Let me explain this. If I believe that all of my help comes from money, if I believe that my security is in money, if I be- believe in the power of riches to make things happen, then I am going to be worried when there's not enough. If I'm going to be anxious when there's not enough tomorrow, then I will be worried that what I will lose today is not enough. I will be worried what I have today is not enough, and I'll fear losing it. My whole life, my whole focus, the attention of my heart becomes about this kingdom. What am I doing? I am saying, oh, mammon, the power of riches. If I only had more of you, I would be more secure. If, I li- if you and I live and move, uh, in you I live and move and have my being. You are the highest value in my life. If I had more of you money or mammon, you would satisfy my soul. So what do we have to do? We have to repent. Repent doesn't mean to weep and, and, and cry. It can, but it doesn't have to mean that. It means a radical change of mind, a shift of perspective. Repentance means a radical change. How do I do that? I look at my life. I look at my priorities, my values, my goals. But above all else, we have to look at our fears. Our fears actually point to what we trust and what we do not trust. If you are afraid of any of those things we have been talking about, it's because we're putting too much belief in money. We need to put our real belief in the plumb line of Jesus and who he is. The God who loves you unconditionally. If I believe in the power of money to be my security and the source of my life, then I'm going to forever be worried if I will have enough or if I will lose what I've got. But if I have come to see the plumb line in which I live my life is God loves me unconditionally. God who is my father. And therefore, he is my security. He is my job finder. He is my job keeper, and he is my job maker. The Psalms say this, that promotion comes from the Lord. Do you realize the rest that can happen when you realize that promotion comes from the Lord? That we don't have to fear, we don't have to worry about tomorrow, just as Jesus said. Look at the birds. Look at the fields. Worry comes from believing in the wrong thing. Worry is the, is, at its root is an inadequate knowledge of God. An inadequate knowledge of God. Jesus said to those who are worried, you are like pagans, those who do not have a revelation of the love of God. God is inviting us to turn our hearts and our lives in, uh, over to him, including our finances, to see him as the plumb line, the highest good, the measure of what's really going on in our lives. And so you commit yourself to the God who loves you unconditionally. When you do so, you are not only spiritually alive, you are mentally and emotionally healthy. This will spill into your body and you will prosper in all that you do and all that you put your hands to. And that is the truth. That is the promise that is rooted in Scripture. Rest, peace, security, and safety these are all feelings of, being, of trusting God. Fear, worry, anxiety, 
These are all feelings of trusting in mammon. There is a dimension of living where you are like a little child sitting on your father's lap. You know how he loves you and that the absolute love in which you live, that is how you live your life and that is what you're anchored in. As you go to work, there's an absolute freedom to know that this job was given to me by my father. If your employer stands at the door and he's ready to to can you, you can take, you can take that and, and go on your way and trust that God is the one and that your source never changes, even though your resource may. So what I want to do is the reality of this, this message and the foundation is who do we trust? Who do we trust? Are we trusting in God? Or are we trusting in, in our own means to get resources? I can tell you from my life, there have been points where I have laxed in this. Fear and worry and anxiety has tried to come in. But each time the Lord, the spirit of the Lord just gently realigns me to his plumb line. That doesn't mean that there isn't a responsibility to work, that we don't just sit on our spiritual couch and, and say money cometh. But the Lord blesses the work of your hands. We read last week in Deuteronomy 8 that God gives you the power to create wealth. And so that means that in you, there, whatever your circumstance is, there is the power to create wealth. There's a power to increase your capacity. Whatever it is, it could be a job idea, it could be an invention, a patent. It, it, there, there is an, any number of things that it could be. But ultimately, we have to understand that our trust is in the Lord. Our trust is not in what we can gain. What we can gain becomes what we use to advance his kingdom. I love what Pastor Jim says. He says this, that our dollars become soldiers. Money is amoral. You realize that. It's not good, nor, and it's not bad. It, money is only as powerful as the person that's holding it. The same dollar uh, can be used to advance uh, uh, the kingdom of God in the nations all over the world, and that same amount of money can be used to buy prostitutes, to buy drugs. And so... What we have to realize is the issue is not money. The issue is our trust. What are we trusting in? So what I want to do, uh, I'm going to have you guys go ahead and stand. And remember when I said that, that our fears, our worries, they point to what we trust. And so I want to just take a moment and... I want you to close your eyes and you can, you can talk to the Lord about this. Maybe you're, you're settled in this in your heart already, uh, but I feel like the, the Lord loves to peel things back like a, the layer of an onion. Amen? Uh, sometimes he peels a little bit too much at one time and we start crying, just like an onion. But, but no matter where you're at in this journey of, of just trusting God specifically for finances, I believe that the Lord uh, wants to peel back another layer of what it looks like. And that means removing fear, removing doubts, removing unbeliefs, removing our worries, and fully putting our trust to him. Remember, you can't serve God and mammon. And so look at what it looks like to serve God 
in, and particularly in this area of our money, our finances, what, what uh, the resources that we've been given and what that looks like and the fear that comes against that. And I want to go after the fear. I want to go after the worry. The thoughts where it says, I, I don't have enough. I don't know what I'm going to do. And it's not that your problems go away, but your faith begins to build an atmosphere of expectancy in your life. And you actually give God something to work with. The Bible says that the power of life and death is in your tongue. And so this is, this is why we speak these things. This is why uh, I love, it's in, infectious that you know, we're, we're constantly for the last few months have been saying the best is yet to come. And we're going to keep saying it until it becomes a part of every cell, every fiber of our being. It releases something when you say that. And the area of your finances, the area of our stewardship of the resources that God gives you is, is no exception. The best is yet to come in your prosperity. You haven't seen anything yet. And that means that with great increase uh, that the Lord wants to release, there's a, there's a greater level of yieldedness. There's a greater level of serving God with it. Because every increase he brings is for his glory. Amen? So I want you to close your eyes. And I want you just to ask the Holy Spirit, ask, ask the Lord that uh, what fear, what worry you may have been holding on to, particularly in the area of your finances. I'll just give you just a few seconds to, to make a mental note of, of whatever is revealed to you or maybe something in the message has just popped up and you're like, yeah, I, I struggle with that. Now I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. If you didn't get anything, it's okay. You can you can practice this at home and um, you know do it with your spouse or whatever you know at home during the week, and uh, jot anything down that the Lord gives you. But I want you to make sure you do this too, and we're going to do it right now. Ask the Holy Spirit what He wants to give you instead. Ask Him what He wants to give you instead. God, instead of that fear, what do you want to give me? Instead of that worry, what do you want to give me? Thank you, Jesus. How many of you feel like the Lord just is revealing something or starting to reveal something to you? Well, Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you're good. You're good, God. We thank you for your graciousness, Lord. And I pray, Lord, if there's any area of our lives where we have gotten out of sync, where we have gotten just a little straight, a little bit from the plumb line of your truths, Holy Spirit, that you would help us realign, realign our beliefs, Realign our thinking that you are the source, and that we are the manager, we're the stewards of what you, you give us. And so, Father, I pray against any fear. I pray against any doubt, any unbelief. I pray, Lord, that our trust would not be in the resources. Our trust would be in the source. 
I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would remove every fear, every doubt. Holy Spirit, that uh, through the week, that you would just begin to speak affirmation in every circumstance, Lord, that we would take those thoughts captive. That literally the stronghold that has been built in our minds with wrong thinking would be systematically torn down. Lord, that you would tear it down, not with force, but with promises. You would tear it down, not with force, but with grace. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we tear down these foundations, as we tear down these wrong thinkings, these wrong mindsets, Lord, that you would uh, begin to forge a new mindset, that we would put our trust in you. Our trust would be in you. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you. And I, I just, you know, I think it's really interesting. I think it's really interesting that um, all of our currency, I left my wallet in the office, but all of our currency says, in God we trust. And so you can look at what gives you anxiety and be encouraged. God bless America. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for mindset shifts. We thank you for heart shifts. We thank you, Lord, for pulling the weeds of wrong thinking. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would dive headfirst into this journey of learning how to serve you with the resources that you've given us, learning how to serve you with our money, learning how to trust you with our money. God, in every area, in every area that it applies to, Lord, teach us to be good stewards managing what you have given us and bringing it in to increase. So Father, I bless every person here. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen.